Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing in Real Estate. This week we have Mr. Sean Pan. Sean Pan is a real estate host of the Everything Real Estate podcast. He also does real estate meetups in person. He's also a real estate investor, flipper. Well, I don't know if he's a wholesaler or not. Real estate agent. <laughs> um, and he also does Airbnb in the Bay Area. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on your show, man. Excited, dude. It took a while to get you. Yep. Definitely. Hey, Sean, how'd you get started into real estate? Well, as you know, uh, back in 2016, we moved from Los Angeles to the Bay Area. And very soon after I moved up here, you have to hit me up and say, hey, man, I'm also moving up to the Bay Area. Why don't we uh, kick it? And I was like, yeah, man, you can rent one of the rooms in my house. So you were actually my very first tenant here. So when I was doing my house hacking model, you were my very first tenant. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And then a little while later, we started getting into different business ideas. I remember at one point you were talking about making some mugs, right? Uh, selling them on Amazon. Uh, you were talking about what, going to law school. And you were talking about uh, your other friends who started some businesses for like CS. And we were like, hey, man, how can we end up doing a startup company without having to eat ramen all day? Right? So that's how we thought, okay, let's build some passive income. And how do you build passive income? Real estate investing. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was reading a lot of forums on like websites like Quora. Quora made it very uh, interesting, you know, talk about real estate investing and also going on websites like biggerpockets.com. It made it seem so easy, right? You're using all the podcasts and all these guys are killing it with all these properties you buy for like 30K mm-hmm. that rents out for like 600K or that rents out for 600 a month. Mm-hmm. So basically 2% rule and you just do it over and over again. Birth strategy. <laughs> so... Then we started going to the real estate investing meetup groups, right? Going on meetup.com. And, you know, we're both pretty shy guys. I was like, hey, man, come with me. So we ended (laughs) up going to Johnson's meetup for that very first time. And it's crazy. We met some pretty big dudes that very first meeting, right? Yeah. Like Johnson, Arlen, Min. I think Jay Martin was there too. Jay Martin was there. That's the day he just quit his job. Exactly. And we were just like some nobodies, right? Some newbies. Hey, we're some young kids. You want to learn about real estate investing? You know, like, guys, I'm like, oh, you guys are such young kids. I wish I was doing that when I was your age too. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how we got started, right? Yeah, it's yeah. We go back. <laughs> like Sean and I started real estate at the exact same time. Exactly. But having Sean there when we're doing real estate was very comforting. Like just knowing that someone had the same amount of fears next door I was like, okay, I can do this too. Yeah, literally next door because there's only like one thin wall <laughs> between us. <laughs> yeah, but I have to give Sean a lot of credit too. Like he, he really broke the barrier in, in the ice for me. I was, I was scared to buy my first property. And then Sean barges to my room and he's like, hey man, I just bought two houses in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a big deal. And, you know, the thing is, it's scary before you do it, but you do it. While you're actually in escrow, you're like, dude, this whole process was so easy. I can just do it again. And you're going to buy more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, man. So what kind of challenges did you face when you first bought your, your rental properties? And what kind of challenges did you face when you, when you also bought your first rehab project too? Yeah, so let's talk about the first rental property. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't that bad because 
I think the hardest part is determining your location. Like, where do you want to invest in? Because first of all, the United States is so big. And I think most people don't even consider that you can invest out of the country, right? You can buy some cheap properties in the Philippines or in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. But within the United States itself, you have to consider, do I want appreciation or do I want cash flow? And ultimately, I decided that when I'm starting my investing career, I'm really interested in the passive income side of it. So I went for cash flow and uh, appreciation. I was like, you know what? I can worry about that side once I have my you know, basic expenses taken care of. So then you decide on buying places out of state. Mm. And then out of state, where do, you, where do you go, right? So there's always these top 10 lists. Eventually, I just chose one that was consistently on those top 10 lists and in a climate that I was used to. You know, I was born and raised in California. We went to school in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know snow, right? So that's why I didn't bother with, you know, Ohio or, you know, Illinois, that kind of stuff. So I ended up just buying something in Jacksonville, Florida. And luckily for me, that's all worked out very, very well. So then challenge number two is once you know the location, how do you find the team members? Because mm-hmm. I'd never been to Florida before that time. I don't know anybody in Jacksonville. You know, I didn't even know Jacksonville was a place until I saw it on all these maps. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, so then basically I went to biggerpockets.com. I went on the forums and I just asked, hey, what are the best zip codes in Jacksonville? Tell me the layout of the land. Where are good areas and where are some of the hood areas? You know, place you want to stay away from. And yeah, just from all the responses that you get from the forums, I just started calling all those guys and saying, hey, I'm an investor. I have money. I want to work with you. And out of all the people I called, there was one person who I really jive with. Mm-hmm. And he started sending me some pretty good deals. He introduced me to a good property manager. The property manager knew good construction crews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you basically build your whole team through referral. And then other than that, there was no real challenges in terms of acquiring properties in Jacksonville. It was very, very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And you just have to go through the process of you know, putting your offer and then finding a lender, mm-hmm. talking about the terms of the loan, and that's it. Put your money in. Let's go. That's awesome, man. I think you bring up a lot of good points, too. I think a lot of people, when they first start out, it's like, oh, man, where, where do I invest? And that's the first thing that everyone always asks, hey, is this a good area? Is that a good area? But in my opinion, I think that it doesn't matter where you invest as long as you're comfortable with that area because there's millionaires in every single market in the United States. So if they're, if they're doing it, why can't we do it? Just find a market you're comfortable with, you know? Exactly. So to that point, I've interviewed, you know, over 140 people on my podcast now, right? I do it twice a week. And from basically everyone that I've talked to, the conclusion is that every strategy works. Mm-hmm. Every strategy in every location <laughs> works. Some people say, oh, you can't make money in the Bay Area. Oh, you can't make money in like Detroit because of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. No, you can make money in every area as long as you're smart and as long as you know what you're doing. So, Yeah. Depends on what are you comfortable with. So I tell people now, if you're a brand new investor and you don't know what you want to do, mm-hmm. just imagine that you wouldn't make money in like any venture you do, whether you flipped homes, developed homes, or bought rentals. Mm-hmm. If you made no money, which one would you be happy with doing? And then just do that strategy because ultimately you're going to make money if you're happy mm-hmm. and you're proficient at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There's no one size fit all. You know, you have to find a strategy that fits your situation and your personality that matters a lot because sometimes you talk to your buddy and they're making a lot of money wholesaling or talk to your buddy they're making a lot of money developing but that may not fit your own personality and your own situation you know so you have to find a strategy that works for you because every strategy will work for you if it fits your personality really well so that's one of the big takeaways 
The other takeaway that Sean mentioned is he just went for it. You know, he found all the resources as, as he went along. Like he started finding people on forum and started cold calling them. And that's the biggest thing about this business is that it's a relationship business. You have to reach out to people in order to find the resource, resources that, that you need uh, to purchase your property. For example, he, he looked at forums, called people, and then found an agent that he really related with. From there, a link to the lender, a link to property manager, a link to contractors, all from one person. So all you need to do is just find that one person you vibe with in that particular area and use that person to find all the resources that you need. Yeah. And to be fair, it wasn't like we went to one meetup and all of a sudden, boom, we bought some properties. We We went to meetups for a whole year, right? And during that whole year, everyone says, oh, like, what kind of investing do you do? And we were always like, oh, we are aspiring investors. You know, like we want to get in the business. And then they would immediately like turn away from us and we'd be like, oh, this this is the worst (laughs) feeling in the world. So now when we host meetups, I try my best at least to make sure that every person gets some attention, even if they are brand new, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know that feeling of what's like to be kind of like ignored when you don't have something going on, but you want to learn more about the business. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's, it's like, again, to your point, it's not like when you go into it, you have to know everything at once, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's all like step by step. So mm-hmm. you don't really need to know a lender until you have a property under contract and exactly. you don't even need to have a property contract until you're sure where you want to invest and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So a lot of upfront research first to realize where do you want to invest, but you know, step by step, it all falls into into a chain. It's, it's like it's nothing new. It's it's been the same process for about I don't know <laughs> the history of real estate. So nothing's ever new. So everything's there for you. All the resources are out for you. All you have to do is find them and ask. Mm-hmm. So Sean, let's let's dive into some of your recent deals. All right, it's it's gonna we're gonna learn a lot about Sean right now and like the different projects that he's a part of. Uh, so Sean, over the last year. What is the best investment that you made over the last year? Dude, so basically last year, I haven't touched real estate. Uh, <laughs> in, so here's, here's my story. In 2017, I was coming off some big wins. Like I bought some really good properties in Jacksonville. They're still cash flowing really hard right now. Uh, I got into a deal in Sunnyvale and we made around like $300,000 on that one deal. Mm-hmm. Crazy, right? So for a younger guy like me, uh, I think combined income, I made like half a million dollars from my day job and from these these uh, real estate projects. And I was thinking like, all right, we can continue this, right? It wasn't that hard. Let's keep going. And 2018, it was like the peak of the real estate market here in the Bay Area, but we were still very aggressive with our marketing and acquiring properties. Mm-hmm. So we actually got into some deals where the number is made sense at the time, but in the end of 2018, the market took a pretty huge slide. So from peak to trough, it was a 20% dip. Mm-hmm. So 20% is huge, right? Like we lost a lot of money on a lot of those projects. And in 2019, which was last year, I basically spent the whole year kind of doing damage control. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make sure that we managed to sell the property and that the investors that we work with get paid off, or at least there's some plan to pay them off in the future. And uh, in 2019, we had, we sold basically, we had three bad projects. Two of them we sold at some pretty deep losses, but mm-hmm. the third project we actually couldn't sell at all, oh, period. Wow. Yeah. And that is a nightmare project that we had to convert into an Airbnb rental to hold on to it while the market recovers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, basically, I spent all of 2019 dealing with that, selling those two properties and converting a property into an Airbnb rental. And then now in 2020, finally, there's some breathing room 
now we can go on and move on with our lives and continue to do real estate in the future. Oh, wow. Have you been in part of like any deals recently, any wholesale deals or? Yeah. So that's actually a pretty funny story in, uh, I think 2018 when I was still like very eager to do another deal, mm -hmm. I was cold calling a lot of real estate agents while I work. So I work, I would take a you know 10 minute break, cold call some agents, go back to work and et cetera, et cetera. And one agent I talked to, you know, she was very nice on the phone, but she started sending me some deals and these deals made no sense, right? After doing all the, you know, theoretical modeling, we would lose money on most of these deals. So I actually kind of blew her off in my mind and I thought I would never hear from her again. Mm -hmm. And then in mid of last year, she actually called me back randomly. Like cool. I was cold calling agents again but she happened to remember my number and she called me back. Mm -hmm. She said, Hey, I have a deal in Sunnyvale. This deal is in a nicer part of Sunnyvale, but it's backed into a commercial property, mm -hmm. you know? And I thought, Ooh, that doesn't sound too good. And I also heard there was a death on the property too. So she was saying, Oh, ARV is maybe 1.55, 1.6. Those 1.5 comps are kind of in the middle of that neighborhood, not necessarily the edge where this property was again, back behind a commercial building. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, yeah, the seller's going to let it go for 1.2 to 1 point, or 1.1 to 1.2. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, these numbers seem kind of tight, especially if you have to do a lot of rehab work on it. But I don't know, like, we'll give it a shot. So I actually sent it over to my friends, uh, Adam and Bobby. I'm sure you've had them on your show before. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, maybe we can make this work. So actually, I was happening to fly over to DC at the time to go to a conference. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a couple of days in the conference, I got a call from another agent of mine, right? Mm -hmm. This other agent, completely unrelated deal, says, hey, Sean, I got a deal in Sunnyvale. This might be good for you. I was like, <laughs> what? All right, tell me the details. He tells me the address. I'm like, yo, that's my deal. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, you know, our friends were like kind of spreading the word and they were going to wholesale it with, you know, without my knowledge, really. Yeah. And I was like, I called him back. I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, we just had some feelers out. Don't worry. We actually already sold it. I was like, what? Yeah. So they told me the story. Long story short, they negotiated the deal for 1.1, right? They got a contract for 1.1. They found a buyer who would buy it for 1.2 already. And then they went back and renegotiated to uh, $1,075,000. So basically they did all the work. I was in a conference hanging out and boom, they made 125K wholesale mm -hmm. from the lead I sent them. Wow. So I got a small piece of that because, you know, I sent them the lead mm -hmm. and I, did virtually no work from doing that. But yeah, that was my small contribution in 2019 for a wholesale deal. Very nice, man. Congratulations. And I also want to point out about your positive mindset too, you know, that you went to a very brutal, you know, you, what you all, you started really strong and you went to a very brutal 2018 where I think most people would just give up, you know, like I know for a fact, you know, you're my close friend. So I know exactly what happened is very, so those of you guys don't know, Sean lost a lot of money in 2018. Hey man, it's on Bloomberg magazine, man. Thanks for the hookup. Yeah. Both <laughs> on Bloomberg magazine, by the way. We're both on Bloomberg magazine talking about our big L's, but it's okay to be transparent about it because if you are the one who is, you know, talking about it yourself, then you control yeah. the narrative, right? And you don't let this shame, I guess, hinder you, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's always good to speak out about your wins and your losses. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's Sean. Like he, he spoke about his wins, he spoke about his loss very openly, very publicly. And a lot of people appreciate that. And what it does is that intangible things happen and it really enhances his reputation as someone who's genuine, someone who's willing to share. And it helps with 
him hosting like a real estate podcast and real estate meetup. So whatever wins and loses or losses you have, like don't be ashamed to share it. A lot of people can gain some inspiration and knowledge from it. Yeah. And to be honest, it's like a, it's a long-term game anyway, right? We're like my personal hero is someone like Arlen. Arlen's maybe what, 25 years older than us. Mm-hmm. And that guy is killing it. Right. But just think about our position. Like if we just keep doing what we're doing for 25 more years, mm-hmm. dude, we're going to kill it. Yeah. Right. So just think of the long game and yeah, you take a couple L's now and then it sucks, but I'm very fortunate that I had already made a lot of money in the past so that I could, you know, deal with these blows now in the present. And yeah, we'll, we'll come back from it. No big deal. But if you're like shady during these times, oh man, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, karma is quite real in real estate. Whatever comes, what goes around comes around. So yeah. all the hard work you did a couple of years ago is coming back to reward you now, which is kind of weird how real estate works. I mean, I think it's because the circle is so small. Like we all know each other. We're all kind of homies. And so yeah. when something happens everyone kind of knows about it right yeah like we know some drama between some people and it's like it's yes they are successful investors but damn it's like if you can choose not to work with them you would choose not to work with them right exactly exactly but yeah we'll switch gears a little bit so sean what are your uh, goals for the rest of 2020 and what is your goals five years and 10 years from now yeah good question uh so for 2020 you know like brian used to live in my house I have some other friends also in my house and over time they've moved in and moved out, Mm -hmm. but it's come to the point when it just happens that everyone's moving out at the same time. Now, you know, they have their girlfriends, they have, you know, a commute that's too far away. So they're all having to move within the next few months or so. I don't know what's going to happen because of the coronavirus, but we're planning that everyone's going to be leaving over time. So instead of just finding traditional long-term roommates, I'm actually going to convert my home here into an Airbnb rental as well. So the Airbnb that we have in Santa Clara is actually doing pretty well, even during this whole coronavirus thing. Mm-hmm. We still have pretty good occupancy. So we're going to just do the same strategy here in my house in Milpitas. And who knows, like if this goes well, maybe we can continue this process through other properties in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So what are your goals five and 10 years from now? You know, so five and 10 years from now, uh, I don't know about 10 years. Honestly, it's a bit too far out, but mm-hmm. I would say for the five-year one, I really want to do uh, focus on my media platforms. So besides my podcast that I release twice a week, I also do YouTube videos three times a week. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because podcast is great because it really boosts your network, right? You learn information from people who you admire. It's like when we were younger, right? We would go to these meetup groups and these big multi-million dollar speakers would be talking at these meetup groups. And at the end of the meetup, they'd be surrounded by people, Mm -hmm. not being those super pushy guys. I would just stand back and I'd probably just go home, right? Yeah. Now I have a reason to come talk to them and say, hey, do you want to talk on my podcast? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Mm-hmm. But having the platform allows you to increase your network, right? Mm-hmm. And get that consulting. Mm-hmm. But the problem with podcasts is if people don't know you and they don't know your podcast, then they won't listen to your podcast. It's true. Podcasts are not very discoverable, right? Mm-hmm. So actually I had a call with Graham Stephan. He's a really famous YouTuber. He was like, yeah, he told me the same thing. Podcasts are great, but no one's going to find you if they don't know you. So why don't you YouTube instead? YouTube allows you, because of their algorithm, to get discovered if you get big enough. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, that's what I decided to do. And so I've been doing three videos a week on YouTube for various real estate investing subjects, mm-hmm. trying to help people learn more about the business. Now, I'm not going to lie. It's hard, man. Like, I think per podcast, I get a couple hundred downloads per episode. 
but for the videos i get you know a couple dozen at best mm-hmm. and it's it's like those exponential growth curves right for the first however many months it's like flat yes. and then <laughs> it shoots up exponentially over the future so yes. hopefully in five years both the podcast and youtube go up mm-hmm. and that will allow me to also do more real estate stuff and yeah, I, honestly, I think it's also because of my current position. Mm-hmm. I'm a you know relatively newer real estate investor. I'm not like some seven-figure flipper. I'm not killing in the business like Grant Cardone, right? Mm-hmm. And that's probably why it's not booming as, as big as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. Even though you're putting all the time and work into it. But, but it's okay. It just takes time. And who knows? Over those five years, maybe we'll get really big on Airbnb. Maybe we'll get really big on flipping, right? Mm-hmm. The market might turn. And then the platforms will increase. And Definitely. things will just follow from there. Definitely. I, I love that mentality too. Like Sean is one of those guys I know that never gets discouraged pretty easily. He, he knows what he needs to do to succeed. And no matter like the results that he sees at the very beginning, it doesn't phase him at all. He has this vision that he's going for. You know, it's like Amazon back in the early days when he kept losing money. That's how Sean operates. But he knows in the future, it's going like, to re- reap all the rewards that's, that's going to come in. And I see that consistently too. Like I'm always very impressed because... Now, personally for myself, I follow Sean all from his podcast journey to, from the very beginning, his YouTube journey from the very beginning. And I saw that this guy literally had like seven subscribers in like the first four months. And all of a sudden, I checked his subscriber recently. He's like 300 or something, right? Yeah, so you gain like, I gained like 60 the past month, right? Which yeah. is very small relative to the big channels. But for us, it's like, oh, that's like a 25% increase, right? And exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have competency right i can't say i'm super intelligent or competent but one thing i do have is discipline and consistency yeah so if i put my effort into it it's going to get done that's that's one thing you can rely on with me yeah yeah that's that's also a key to to success like success is not an overnight thing it's a consistent daily habit that someone does every single day to reach their goal and then you're going to see you know sean blow up really big in the future and you're going to think oh man this guy is an overnight success but really, when you trace back to this episode, you're going to see that this guy's been working towards his goals every single day for the next, you know, who knows how long until he blows up. I'm right. hoping it's going to be like three years. And uh, one person I follow a lot is Gary Vee. So Gary Vaynerchuk. And he always talks about documenting the journey. So right now, I know that I'm not in like the high point of my life. It's definitely one of the lower parts in terms of like career success, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of documenting the journey, I think it is cool to continue because you're showing yourself at the low points when you're still kind of starting out mm-hmm. and all the challenges you're facing so that when you do eventually, you know, blow up, they can look back and say, Oh, this is where he started. Yeah. And, hey, I'm like this guy. Now I'm in a financial rut. Yeah. He can do it. I can do it too. Right. Yeah. The story sometimes, you know, the story is very, very important. Like people want to see who you, who, where you came from too. And we live in an age where being authentic is very important. If they look at you and they can't trace you back from the very beginning, they can't relate to you. You, you lose a part of your audience that you're, that you're reaching for that will actually support you in like donations or funding or even partnerships. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Naruto, right? The first hundred episodes, he's a scrub. And yeah. the last hundred episodes, he's like a god. So <laughs> if he's a god from the very beginning, no one's going to care about the story, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Sean, do you have any uh, morning routines, habits that you follow every single day or in order to keep yourself disciplined and motivated? 
Um, I don't know about morning routines per se. Obviously, I wake up and I brush my teeth and I floss every day. But uh, one thing I do every day is I go to the gym. We, we work out even though we're in this uh, shelter in place right now. We still do exercises at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, like my habits have been changing very wildly, especially because uh, the shelter in place has kind of screwed up my schedule. So yeah. before I used to go to a lot of meetup events, I think that's where I derive a lot of my information and progress Mm -hmm. but now because there's no shelter in place it's just been like doubling down on the media output yeah yeah that's that's pretty cool yeah um do you like document your goals do you do you meditate do you write down in journals like how do you keep yourself accountable because you are very very disciplined and not a lot of people are like this so what what are the the self-hacks personal hacks that you kind of hack into in order to keep yourself moving in the right direction. So I have a to-do list on a Google sheet or Google docs, and I always update it. So as long as I get those tasks done for the day, I know that I'm one step forward towards my goal. And then I also do something called a top or a list of 10. Yeah. I don't know if you follow a guy named James Altucher, but he talks about lists of tens. Basically every day you write a random list of 10. It doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter what you write. The point is to have those creative juices in your mind. Yeah. Exercise. So like, what are 10 things you can do today to make your business better? Or what are 10 foods that you want to cook in the future? Like, it doesn't matter what you write, but just by writing them, you stimulate your brain. Yeah. And I guess they can help you with your goals as well. Mm-hmm. I do have a journal. I don't write in it as often as I should. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's because I hate my penmanship. <laughs> I can't read <laughs> my chicken scratch. So for the type and meditating while great, mostly puts me to sleep. So I can't say it's that great either. You know, we did have a Pasana retreat, uh, the one that, you know, Chang and I did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And man, that thing was crazy because you start to see a lot of crazy stuff mm-hmm. and you start to imagine like your world. But after Vipassana, I haven't done too much meditation. Can you tell our listeners what that retreat is about? Yeah. So Vipassana is like a 10 day silent meditation retreat. So mm-hmm. you don't talk to anybody. Obviously, no phones, no books, no writing. And all you do for 10 days is meditate in a hall. <laughs> with your back straight and it hurts it's super painful and mm-hmm. you start to hallucinate like crazy mm-hmm. yeah and no it's good like you you like see flashbacks of your past good times bad times you know and you try to deal with any of the issues you have mm-hmm. luckily i had none you know so i was like all right this is whatevs but some people they see all their demons right they're like oh why am i this way oh because when i was younger my brother got more attention than i did they were da 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 right yeah. So I mean, it was now that we're home for, for the quarantine, the coronavirus outbreak, you might as well do that 10 day silent retreat again. I mean, it's not really worth it to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people like it. For me, it was okay. So that's why maybe in the future I'll do it again, but it's just not for me right now. That's okay. Hey, so Sean, what is your biggest source of motivation? What is your why? Mm, my why. So my why in the beginning was that I didn't want to end up like my coworkers. <laughs> so we used to work at Boeing, right? Back in the day. Oh man, I'll tell you the story. My very, yeah, my very first day working as an intern at Boeing, I was so excited, right? Boeing was like this giant engineering company. I studied electrical engineering at UCLA. Mm-hmm. They made these crazy airplanes. I was working on satellites. So I came up there in like a nice dress shirt and a tie, right? I looked sharp. I was thin, right? I was... I was, I was going to go get it. And my coworkers who were there were 
you know, not going to be mean or anything, but they're kind of like sloppy looking, kind of pudgy, mm-hmm. look sad, right? Their eyes showed their sadness. Yeah. And they're looking at me and they're kind of making fun of me. They're like, oh, look at this young kid with his tie on. Who do you think you are? Don't wear a tire anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, what? <laughs> like, that's kind of mean. But I guess they wanted me to just lighten up. So I didn't wear a tie after that. Mm-hmm. Just wear my, I continue to wear my nice professional uh, kind of like outfit every day. Mm-hmm. But then over time, you realize that, man, they're not happy. Like, they're always complaining about how the company isn't paying them enough. They're always underpaid. The company is taking away their benefits. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, they're always taking away their stuff. They're not happy where they are. And I was like, why don't you just leave? And, uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend at the time, her uncle used to work at Boeing, too. And he was, like, a super senior guy, like a a T6 or something, P6. Mm -hmm. And that means you're a scientist, right? You're the top-tier guy. But they were like, look, Boeing's not going through some good times. We're going to lay you off and hire some junior guys in your place instead. And yeah. he's been working for that company for 30 years, right? And I think he was almost eligible for retirement. So they would pay him a pension and stuff. But because he was maybe a two years short, he wouldn't get that package. Mm-hmm. And he was pissed. He was like, if I just left and left for another company like Northrop Grumman 20 years ago, then I would have had a huge salary increase and you know, forget the pension, right? No one else has a pension now. But because he's in the situation, he actually had to move to Alabama for two years yeah. just so he could retire and get that pension plan. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, I don't want to be stuck in a company mm-hmm. where you work so hard for your whole life and then you still get treated this way. Mm-hmm. And that's what inspired me to start different businesses. So before real estate, we did a whole bunch of different businesses like selling selfie sticks on Amazon mm-hmm. or something like that. And yeah, basically, I don't want to end up like those guys at work. Yeah. And that's why I'm willing to, you know, suffer and sacrifice during my early like thirties and late twenties mm-hmm. so that when I'm in their position in the fifties, like I won't be there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, that's very similar to my why too. It's like, you can't trust anyone else to carry you in the future. You have to keep hustling now. So you create your own future. Exactly. As soon as you trust the government or as soon as you trust your workplace, to, like provide you retirement, that's scary. And especially right now, right? Right now, a lot of people are getting either laid off or they're getting their pay cuts, mm-hmm. right? Because the companies, when they don't do well, they can't keep you. Yeah. So, but, but think about my position. I have rental properties. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not getting paid a full-time salary, mm-hmm. I still have income from rental properties. Mm-hmm. They can't really take that away from you. Yeah. Worst case, your tenants don't pay, right? Yeah. That's a different problem, but still like you need to diversify your income streams so that you aren't, you know, super dependent on just one. Agreed. That's, that's the thing too. It's like, you always have to have a plan B, plan C, plan D, because you never know where life is going to take you. And real estate investing is one of those awesome vehicles that can provide this comfort and foundation for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So Sean, what kind of advice do you have someone who's just starting out in real estate? All right. So if you're brand, brand new, mm-hmm. obviously educate yourself. There are so many free resources out there that mm-hmm. I personally don't believe that you need to spend 10 or $30,000 for coaching, especially if you're brand new, like just go to meetups. You have so many great meetups online. So you go to meetup, meetup.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to mine, it's meetup.com slash everything REI. Brian, you can shout out your meetup. Crushing in real estate in Oakland. So yeah. shout out to our meetups as well. Yeah. So mine's down in San Jose. So if you're ever down here, Check out mine. Uh, free podcast. Obviously, this one right here, Crushing Real Estate Podcast. You have mine, Everything Real Estate Investing Show. 
Mm-hmm. There's a you know one rental at a time with Michael Zuber. Bigger Pockets, obviously very good for brand new investors. Mm-hmm. Um, different websites too. But I say maybe the one thing is besides learning by yourself is to show up at meetups because that's honestly where you get your best breaks. Going to meetups like teaches you a lot of things that you wouldn't find on a podcast because maybe the thing you're looking for is too granular or mm-hmm. maybe it's something that's not necessarily legal per se. So it's more of like a gray thing that people don't want to say on the air, but they'll tell you in person. Like for example, when I was doing my first flip project, I was like, Hey, like the contractor you guys use doesn't have a license, right? So how do you guys get around with pulling permits? And you're like, Oh, you can do owner pull. And then I was like, but I heard that if you do owner pull, then you can't sell your house in a year. And they're like, technically, but they don't really catch, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. You don't want to say that on the air per se, but uh, those are kind of the kind of advice that you get from people who are at meetups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can basically be like your pseudo mentors. Yeah. So like, don't go up to somebody you admire and be like, Hey, I want you to mentor me. They're going to be yeah. like, no, I'm not going to give you the time and mm-hmm. spend my mental energy mentoring you. But if you come to them more like as a friend, then when you do need that one or two tips of advice, you can just hit them up. Hey, what did you, what would you do in this situation? And they might just tell you the advice. Mm-hmm. That's a really and good advice, Sean. Nice. I want to say one more thing too. The very first deal that I did where we got that 300k profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was actually because all I did was show up to meetups. Right. I show up to meetups. I actually volunteer to be uh, like someone that helps in, helps check people in at a meetup. Mm-hmm. And the other person who helped check me in, she actually had too many deals at the time and she mm-hmm. passed me the deal just because I happened to be there at the right time. So show up to meetups consistently and eventually good things will happen for you. Love it. Love it. Everything about you is very consistent. It's a consistent meetup, consistent podcast, consistent YouTube. Like Sean's the most consistent guy I've ever met in my life. And surprisingly, he's not in the military neither. So you know, well, funny story is I was in the military technically, <laughs> but things happened. And then I was not in the military anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so a couple more questions. If you can restart your real estate career all over again, what, what would have you done differently from, from the way you've done it before? Okay, so I think I got a little bit too greedy. Obviously, you can tell. I think what I would have done is I would have focused more on the buy and hold side. Mm-hmm. At the time, I actually had an opportunity to buy like a 32-unit complex in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and my property manager would have taken care of it. But I didn't really have that much resources, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't really want to go the syndication route. But I think I would have tried just buying more properties because the passive income right now is what's basically saving me, right? Like I, can, I left my full-time job in June. And uh, I still have some debt from other projects, but because of my passive income from Jacksonville, I can actually live a normal life. Now, I'm not saying I'm baller or anything. I'm not saying I'm saving hella money, but at least I'm able to sustain my lifestyle mm-hmm. because of my property in Jacksonville. So I would have bought more properties like that. I think I also would have networked more with those uh, more advanced investors earlier because uh, they have given me such great advice but that advice is kind of late. You know, I wish I had that advice two years ago when I was actually going through some stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe partner with those guys because they actually do really well in their business. Mm -hmm. Also, if I could restart my career, knowing what I know now, I would actually do my podcast earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've been in the business for over four years now. So imagine if we had four years worth of content, that would have been crazy. We would be so much further in all of our adventures. The first question is, is what's the ROI? (laughs) Your first podcast? Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Or just like talking about the books, talking about our journey from when we just started because our podcasts are, you know, they've been around for a while now. Mine's been over a year and some change, but 
if we started right when we first started real estate investing consistently, then we would have even bigger platforms. But besides the point, like I know that if we just continue what we do now, then in those three years, then we'll just have caught up with what we should have been later. So it's not a big deal. Yeah, not a big deal. But yeah, it's great, man. Hey, Sean, what's your favorite book, podcast, or any form of inspirational media that you draw inspiration from? Uh, well, to be honest, it, is this real estate related? Because I actually don't listen to a lot of real estate related podcasts anything? anymore. Could be anything. Yeah, because the thing is, like, I first of all, like, for my podcast, obviously, I record it, I edit it, and then I listen to it again for like quality control. Mm-hmm. So I heard my podcast a lot of times, but. Yeah. So, so basically the, the information you get from podcasts are very similar mm-hmm. and I stopped reading the books too, because they are also very similar content. Mm-hmm. So I actually listen to other podcasts like London real. It's great. James Altucher show also very great mm-hmm. because they talk about things other than real estate. It's more like business mindset. Mm-hmm. And I like hearing more about those. And I love reading autobiographies out of all the books I read now, because I want to see someone's like, I want to see why someone made a decision at a critical juncture in their life. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that from a biography or someone just talking about it. Like I can go back in time and read what happened, but I want to know why that decision was made and what that guy was thinking and what his other options were. Mm-hmm. So autobiographies give you that insight into someone's mind. I love it. Same thing, same thing with me too. So thanks for recommending a bunch of autobiographies to me. So appreciate, appreciate that, Sean. Yeah. Starting the, the ride of a lifetime. That was a fun read because I was talking about the Disney CEO and how he like acquired all these crazy companies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm about to start that pretty soon. It's a oh, pretty yeah. Cool. It's an easy read too. Very easy read. Awesome. So Sean, how can we find out more about you and reach out to you? Yeah. So you could reach out to me at everythingrei.com. That's my website. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention that I started working for a hard money lending company. They're called Conventus Lending. I work with my partner, Brenda Chen. Mm-hmm. So if you actually contact us for any hard money any inquiries, we can actually give you a thousand dollars off of your processing fee. Sweet. And you can hit me up through my email at Sean at everything rei.com and also check out the podcast, the Everything Real Estate Investing Show, where we release episodes twice a week on Sunday and Wednesday at 5 a.m. For those of you who are commuting. <laughs> Perfect. So Sean, talk a little bit more about your hard money lending. Is this California only or is it any other state? Yeah, so we do the whole of California and we do 22 other states. I don't have the list on me right now, but just call and inquire. We can see if we can help you guys out. Um, but yeah, hard money lending is how a lot of flippers acquire their properties. You know, they say that they're going to buy properties with cash. In reality, almost no one buys properties with full cash. For the most part, it does come from a hard money lender. And the difference between a traditional lender and a hard money lender is that hard money lenders look at the asset itself. So they look at the hard asset. That's why it's called hard money. Mm-hmm. And basically, if the project has enough meat on the bone, then they don't really care about your income. Mm-hmm. So if you were to buy a property yourself through like Wells Fargo or Chase, they want to see if you have enough income to satisfy something called a DTI ratio. So debt to income ratio. And for the most part, a lot of people don't have that kind of DTI mm-hmm. because they already have another property or they just don't have enough income from their salaries. Mm-hmm. So that's why they use hard money so that they can go in and out. Uh, obviously it's more expensive than traditional debt, mm-hmm. but it's just like, it's a business expense. It's how you get the deal in the first place. Mm-hmm. So without a hard money loan, I wouldn't have been able to get that $300,000 profit, right? It's an expense. You do it just so you can make the money, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, man. Great insight. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks, Sean.